everyone. Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddard. Thank you for joining us. As always, I have my partner, Ethan Brooks, with me. Ethan, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Happy Friday. Yes, likewise. Okay, before we get started, two quick announcements I have to make. First off, last week, uh, I found out in editing that my actual studio mic wasn't hooked up. The audio came through my uh, cam mic, my webcam mic. So if the audio last week was a little bit jacked, I really apologize. We took a lot of time to mess with the editing for the audio so that it sounded pretty good. But my apologies, I'll make sure we don't screw that up going forward. And second of all, we needed to take a moment, Ethan, you and I, to solidify that two episodes ago, we said we would come back and say for sure whether Substack allows the user to still collect the email address, even if you hit subscribe on the app. And in credit to Substack, they do do that. You do still get to collect the email address. So I suppose that's another check in the win column for Substack on our on our episode that we had for them. So I feel positive about that. I still wouldn't recommend somebody build a legitimate business on Substack, but hey, what do I know? There's people doing it every day and I wanted to make sure that we were we were honest and we gave the fair the fair spectrum on, on both sides of the coin for that one. And that's all Good I got, point. man. So what's Good up? Point. Well, well, um, first of all, I didn't know you were I didn't know you're gonna mention this, but uh, I'm glad that you did. For anybody listening, yeah, it was it was two episodes ago, it's two or three episodes ago. We talked about whether or not Me Substack too. just nuked your email list. And we did, to be fair, include this in the show notes. So for anybody who hasn't heard that episode yet, I have a sub like a Substack that I use for testing stuff. And Tim tried to sign up for it using the app. Yeah. And I wasn't able to access it immediately on the show, but we did go back and check later and the email address does still come through. So kudos to Substack for still being creator centric in that way. I'm curious, what what brought this top of mind? Did they like reach out to you or anything like that? Or did you just kind of remember that we hadn't closed this loop? Yeah, I just remembered we were going to talk about it last week, but the episode last week got jacked up because we were both traveling. And so we didn't have a, an opportunity to put that in there. And it just yeah, it popped in my head a couple of minutes ago that... It, it would just be irresponsible, you know, as much yeah. as uh, journalism is is uh, under the microscope these days, right? Like, I still think it's just important that people <laughs> on all sides of every story do their best to tell the truth about things. And yeah. the truth is that, yeah, Substack did do the right thing with their app. And uh, and I just think it's important that that we show that element of it. So like you said, Blink. kudos to Substack. Blink twice if somebody from Substack is in the room with you no. right now to stop camera. Hey, Mish didn't reach out to me. I yeah, think. he sent like uh, an enforcer. No, it, uh, for anybody who is like interested in that too, whether you're new here and didn't catch that or if you just skipped a week, uh, if you are looking at building a content business or something like that, you may enjoy going back to listen because we, we basically looked at some changes that Substack had made, but use those as the basis for talking about content businesses in a wider context and some of the pros and cons of building on a place like Substack. So like, you know, pros, obviously it's a very easy on-ramp. If you're looking to put all your content in one place, that can be a little overwhelming for some people. Con, you're building a reputation that is effectively helping Substack, not necessarily your brand. So all the SEO, all those backlinks you develop, they go to help at uh Substack, which is why one of the reasons that Tim keeps saying, like, I wouldn't recommend building there. So if you're looking at that avenue, you haven't heard of, or if you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. But yeah, hats off to 
Substack for still being pretty creator centric, given all the competing priorities or all the different priorities that they're that they're managing. Today's going to be kind of a special episode because Tim is running a relaunch yeah. of one of the companies that he runs, a Sober Nation. Uh, what we wanted to do for this episode is kind of pull everybody behind the scenes and give you a look at what these kinds of relaunches really entail. Not only the things that he thought through ahead of time, but some of the things that are still on his mind two or three days pre-launch, uh, just kind of talk about them, throw some ideas around. I think this is going to be cool because if you've been through a launch like this before, you kind of know how it goes, but a lot of people haven't. And they don't. And one thing that always bothered me, especially since I started my career kind of in front of the content paywall, so to yeah. speak, like I saw yeah. a lot of content brands, I saw a lot of companies doing this stuff, but I wasn't really on the backside understanding how it all worked. I think it's very common to underestimate the amount of preparation that goes into a launch like this. And that's troublesome because when you all of a sudden see somebody succeeding, you think it's because like it was easy and that somehow you're doing something wrong because like success didn't just automatically happen for something that you started. So we're going to dig into this, but my intention is for everybody listening, hopefully this provides a window into like what these types of relaunches really look like and the amount of preparation that goes into them, which is significantly more than I think most people would expect if you haven't been through one before. So with that as the context, and by the way, I haven't seen this yet. So uh, I'm going to be reacting kind of in real time as, uh, as Tim talks me through some of this. First of all, for anybody who hasn't heard of Sober Nation, what is the brand? And then what was the impetus behind the relaunch? Why did you guys decide to do this now? Well, we decided to do it like a year and a half ago. And okay. it's taken that long <laughs> to oh, get wow. to this point. Yeah. So, okay. I'll start at the very beginning. Most people know my story, so I won't spend too much time on it. I got my start on the internet basically by blogging about getting sober. I've been in recovery for a little more than 12 years now. And it all started for me on a blog spot. Basically, I would just wake up and write about what I was going through and what the experience was like and didn't know that anybody was listening or even cared until one day I discovered that Google drives traffic to pages of content via an algorithm. And that's basically how I got into SEO. So Sobernation is where it all started for me. And it continues to be a really, really big part of my life. The way Sobernation becomes a business, and I guess I should preface this part as well by saying that like Sobernation has been a colossal failure <laughs> over and over and over and over again, right? Like I really mean that. Out of all the things that I've done, it has by far been like the lowest ROI on my time. But in a way, it's it's also been the highest because I've learned everything I know from working on this website. And those skills have allowed me to just bring it to other places and to take the lessons that I've learned and and apply them to like other projects maybe. And so for your agency and stuff like that, or for it's like, sure, this is like a and testing ground, you can say testing, testing ground. That's a really okay. great, great way to say it. Look, here's why it's so scary because there's a lot of really high level technical SEO on this website. And we're about to really, really change some things, which could potentially be catastrophic. I feel really, really good about it because all the data that we've collected over the last couple of months, years really, say, this is how you want to do it. But <laughs> you don't know until you do it, right? So it's scary. 
just to confirm, when you started that blog 12 years ago, was that Sober Nation? Like, has it's been the same site the entire time, or were there different kind of iterations along the way? No, just one iteration. It was on Blogspot. Blogspot okay. doesn't even exist anymore. Right. So now um, it's actually, press, I right? think I think it still exists. I just don't think you can create an account. I'm not really sure. But the original name of it was, I think, just timstotter.blogspot.com. I learned about domains and eventually started a website called Cerberation after probably nine months of just blogging on this Blogspot account once I like discovered SEO and started getting into it. Got it. And uh, you mentioned already that you consider this to be sort of a laboratory in one respect where you get to test a lot of things from an SEO perspective, which plays directly into what happens over at like Stasi, totally. your marketing agency. Do you consider this to be a business too? And if so, like what's the, how does it monetize? What, what's the actual business model? Definitely a business. And it's actually my favorite kind of business because there's not a whole lot to think about other than generating valuable traffic. So it's a lead generation website. Basically, the way it, here's the industry in a nutshell all healthcare sucks at marketing. And it's because they're doctors, right? And like they went to school for years and years and they thought if I pay a hundred something thousand dollars and I get this degree, then like I'll just be able to do work and, and make a lot of money. And that's true to the extent that. They figure out how to do marketing. So Cerberation specifically generates phone calls for highly, highly reputable addiction treatment centers across the country. And it fluctuates in regards of like what regions of the country get sent to certain centers. You know, it's always a little bit of a of a game just to see who's like the proper fit for a certain person because it's medical. So there's insurance and shit that you got to think about, right? But uh but the reason why I love this kind of website is because actually I don't have to think about that too much. Like my only job is to get is to generate resources that are so valuable that they help people so much to the fact that they think, okay, I trust this website. I'm gonna call this number to get help. And I've taken this same exact model, by the way, and built a moving lead gen website. So, you know, people move all across the country and it's actually a, a big business with uh, brokers, you know, like being a broker to figure out who they're going to hire to to be the movers, right? Pack up the trucks and drive the shit across the country. I've done this in the stem cell industry. I'm really, really interested in stem cells and regenerative medicine. And there's a lot of lead gen business there as well. And we've dabbled on the idea of doing it with... Um, uh, certain medical supplies, so diabetic strips, catheters. Actually, there's some legislation within the last ten years that people that have spinal injuries that need to use catheters, they get a new catheter every single time because it helps reduce infection. So there's actually like a, a really, really valuable and lucrative lead generation market within the medical supplies. So I know I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but the point I'm trying to make is that these websites are my favorite because I don't have to do anything after the phone call, right? Like I don't have to sell advertising. I don't do any advertising. Um, it's not like copy blogger where people sign up for an email list and then I have to like write funnels and and try to sell them products. Or it's not like Stasi where like they have to call me and I have to sell them on the service. It's quite literally just make the best website possible so that people trust the resources that we put together 
and they generate leads to a lead buyer. Can we pause here for just one second? I do want to keep going through the launch in a minute, but it occurs to me that people listening to this might be hearing you say this and thinking, wow, this is a really interesting business model. How might I apply this to different areas in, in my life where I'm kind of interested in, like, how would I identify a good niche in which I could replicate this same business model? So you mentioned a few that you, like, you've replicated this in a couple of different areas. How do you typically analyze an industry to decide whether or not there's like a good lead gen opportunity there? Interesting question. And I do it just all through search data, all, all through SEM Russia. I, I guess it takes a little bit of calling people as well. You know, the, the, the answer to this actually, while I think about it, is I spent so much time in Florida and Florida has call centers like you would not believe, you know? And so, like, I just got a little bit inundated with the world of call centers and and phone pits. If you ever seen Boiler Room, you know, like I actually really get off on that shit. Like I really love it. So it's just industries that need phone calls, industries that need phone calls. Like what is an industry that you can't quite sell something without talking to a person? And then you cross-reference that with the search data. And then you cross-reference that with like, is is the sale on the back end of the product lucrative enough that people are going to be willing to pay a good amount of money per lead that gets driven to them? So, I mean, they're everywhere, you know, like really lawn care, I think is a huge one that's coming Mm -hmm. up. People don't want to cut their grass anymore. You know, lawn care is pretty damn big. Mobile car wash is another one, like really. And this is why I love it so much because you can do it local, you know, like you don't have to be a national brand like me. Let's say you live in Nashville and there's a ton of mobile car wash companies around here and all of them kids, the 24 year olds, they buy a van, they put a hose in the back of their van, you know, they want phone calls. And I, I just, I know someone listening to this could start a mobile car wash lead gen site right now and make, it'll take some work, but you'll make 60 grand a year. For no sure. Problem. Well, yeah. this is so interesting to me. I want to hear a little bit more about how you think about the business side of this, especially for somebody who's considering doing this themselves. Real quick, I want to bring up this guy. I follow him on Twitter. His name is... I'm giving you the screen, bro. I really like the uh, screen sharing part of it. Oh, cool. Right here. Johnny Robinson. So his name's Johnny Robinson. First of all, he's got a great Twitter handle. It's called Squeegee God. So if you want to find this guy on Twitter, <laughs> he's at Squeegee God. And uh, the reason he's, I think he's cool is that he's big on lead gen businesses too. And he does a lot of great work on Twitter showing just how accessible this is as a business model. So what he does is he does, I think he would call it like, remote uh says remote home service business yeah right that's there a great word for it right tweet. there <laughs> yeah remote home services so he'll basically build a website where he's getting leads for different home services uh he's got one that's a window cleaning company and then another i think he's done that's like you know just uh cleaning companies as well and similar to what you said there's a ton of demand you can build these businesses locally and the the key factor for his kind of niche is that a lot of these contractors who are offering things like cleaning, remote car care, all these other things, they don't want to do the marketing. They're terrible yeah, at it. These are people exactly. who just, they, they, they're good at a thing. They want to go do that thing for a living. And they're willing to pay, in his case, up to like, you know, half the cost of the job in order to not have to do the marketing side of the equation. So he just builds out the marketing and then basically subcontracts out the jobs. So again, that's Johnny Robinson. He's at Squeegee God over on Twitter. If people want to check him out, he publishes a ton of great content on this. But 
And, and his big thing is similar to what you just said. He's like, you can build a remote home services business that cash flows like 10 grand a month. And yeah. basically all you're doing is you're pulling in leads and bidding jobs. And I think what's a little bit different between what he does and what you he do is that, them. yeah, you're picking yeah. at what point in the chain are you jumping out of the way and like handing the lead over? So he actually does the bidding and in, in, in that way, that means, you know, he basically gets to control what his upside looks like. Mm-hmm. What about you though? When you reach out to a company, let's say you're looking at a new space. Uh, you mentioned the at-home car washing. Like, let's say you, you were to do that kind of from scratch right now and you you did your search check, you've, you've analyzed it and you feel it's a strong local opportunity. What's the next thing you do? Do you reach out to the people who are already on Google and like they're offering this service by a phone call and you, you have a conversation with them? What, what is that actual next step? How do you go from being able to like bring people to a website to actually turning that into money? Yeah, that is that is the skill part of the monetization here because you basically have to make deals. What I would do, you know, let's say it's a mobile car wash company, I would just find the most what what I would assume to be the most savvy car wash company that there is. And I would call them and basically say, hey, I got phone calls. How much you want for them? And usually what I do is I start off with like a really, really low number and I get them really excited about it until the point where somebody else wants the phone calls. And it's like, oh, well, this person's willing to pay this much, right? Like, <laughs> like because actually what that is, it, it it helps me determine the actual value of the phone call because it, it has to have a positive cost per acquisition for them or they're not going to do it you know so if they're if they're charging 120 bucks for a car wash and they're paying 20 bucks for a phone call and they're closing one out of every five you know what i mean it's 100 dollars mm-hmm. for a cpa it's only 20 20 bucks that they're going to make so that probably wouldn't make sense but if i'm charging 20 bucks for a phone call and they're closing one out of every two, you know, it's a $40 CPA and sure, they're going to make a ton of money. So the first thing I would do is just probably call the one that's ranked number one on Google My Business, because at least that means this person is like interested in getting reviews because reviews are like very active. And so like, I know that they're actively trying to to promote themselves on Google. And uh, that person usually every single time will say, yes, like these people want leads, they want business. I think that's one of the things that scares people the most about this kind of business is they think, no, I just want to be a creator, you know, and I just want to sit back and have people hit the subscribe button. And then I'm going to wake up and Stripe is going to tell me how much money I made while I was sleeping. You know, that has not been the path to success for me. The path to success for me has been generate leads and then like get after the people that need them. So that's how I would do it. I like that a lot. I want to take one second to just emphasize something for people listening here. Cause you said like when you're charging for these, you really need to be mindful of who the, the, the company that's ultimately making, like the company that's paying you, how much they're paying for leads, what's their price per acquisition yeah. and how much money are they making on top of that? And I just want to reiterate, I think we talked about this in a past episode as well, how important of a concept that is when you're pricing any kind of advertising product. There's a lot of people out there. Who And it's very tempting too, especially if you're new to the industry to come in and say, okay, well, I've built a newsletter uh, and I have 10,000 subscribers. How much should I charge for ads? And there's like, there's basically two answers to this because, you know, one answer, like there's always somebody who's going to just give you a, a number say, well, you should be charging at least 
$500 or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But that's not the real answer. The real answer is you need to know how much your advertisers are paying for their customers. And then you need to kind of charge appropriately based on how many customers you can drive to them and make it look like not only a good deal from their perspective, but also somewhere like maybe a, a slightly better deal than what they're getting elsewhere, because then they're going to keep investing in your medium because they're tracking all that stuff. Yep. So that I just wanted to emphasize that cost per acquisition is the most important factor when you're pricing any kind of advertising business. And this works for what Tim's talking about, but also for things like content and other, I guess, other ad-driven businesses. So, oh, it looks like you had one more thing to say about well, that. I, I want to emphasize that even more. And here's the other reason why. <laughs> Double emphasis. Yeah, because here's the other reason why. When people start off, it's let me get as much money as I can possibly get. And they learn very, very quickly how expensive it is to continuously find new people to either buy your leads or buy your ad. And Ooh, just interesting. believe me, believe me, if you have a buyer that has a set price and in the back of your mind, you might be thinking, oh, I know I can charge more for this. What if I can find the other person? But this buyer is committed and they're loyal and they're going to stay on. For, I, the, the person that's been buying my leads, I've been working with this, these people for three or four years. And like I know for a fact, absolutely, I could ratchet it up. But why? Because I get to focus all of my time on doing nothing but making my website the best that it could possibly be. And I just, I really, really see people get stuck in that idea. Like I need to be a better salesperson. I need to get, I need to get more. I need to get more. Like, let me leverage these people against each other to try to jack up the price. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're increasing the amount of costs that their time is because like you could be using that time to, instead of charge more per lead, generate more leads right and then that's how it really scales like that's how you get that exponential factor where the thing just ramping up that is a great piece of insider insight i'm glad you stopped to share that oh believe uh, me man there's there's nothing worse than bouncing all around playing the fucking game like there's <laughs> nothing worse you just you want to get to a point where you focus fully on creating the best website possible i'm betting that that was the main push behind this rebrand or this relaunch as well. Yeah. You're, 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 you're shooting for some kind of optimization uh, that you don't feel you were getting up to this point, right? Can you talk me a little bit, talk me through that a little bit? I will. And I'm going to share my screen for this. It'll be very helpful to watch this video. So for the people just listening, it's on YouTube, just search copy blogger on YouTube and, uh, and it'll be on there. However, I'm I'm pretty good at explaining SEO, so you know, try your best to just visualize it in your mind's eye. But this is what we're doing. I have the current Sobernation website. This is the website that's live, and really, there's only one section of the website that has the huge overhaul because, for the most part, the content, you know, the pages, the resource pages. We made a directory for collegiate recovery. There's a lot of programs in colleges that like give students who are sober kind of housing and resources so that they don't get so that they can find stuff to do in college without going through the the party scene, you know? So for the mm -hmm. most part, all of this stuff is saying the same. And this is pretty straightforward, even if you're launching, if you're relaunching a blog or something like that. Like as long as you're not changing the URLs and as long as you're not switching links around everything will be pretty simple. What we're doing 
is we're redesigning the whole thing. So it's going to look completely different. And I guess in a way, the, the code of the design will could have an impact on search if it's faster or maybe it's lighter code or, or possibly. It's hard to say with that. And it's not as important as getting this right. So this is the important part of the website. So I'm on SoberNation.com slash rehabs. And this rehabs page, this is the parent page for our entire directory. And our directory is SEO'd through location. So the first link on this page is New York. So I'm going to click on New York. And it's going to say SoberNation.com slash rehab, not rehabs, because the, the plural is the parent page. Uh, and so now this is the state page. And so re, yeah, slash rehab slash New York. Correct. Yeah. Sobernation.com slash rehab slash new dash York. So this is the state page. And there's a lot of information on this page, but mostly what this page is, is a link to every single city in New York state. And so it's almost like a, like a factor tree in a way. If you remember doing factors in school, I'm terrible at math. So I'm, if I get this right, which wrong, which I might, please don't make fun of me on Twitter. But I think, what is it like 64? Was that eight times eight? You know what I mean? And then it breaks down. <laughs> and You're then talking you can, to the wrong guy, but it sounds very plausible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you maybe can break it's 64, down. Maybe it's 63. The eight is like a four and a two. And then you can yeah. break down the four into two and two. So that's basically what we built. You know, like this, this parent page is just the top of the hierarchy. And then you go into the state page and this is one level down and it has mm -hmm. all of the cities of the state. And then if you click on a city, so the first city on this page is Albany. And so then what happens is it's sobernation.com slash rehabs slash Albany dash and Y. Can I ask you just sure. as a, a novice, like an SEO novice, why does the rehab switch back to rehabs once you click through to this city level? Because if it didn't, then well yeah is there is there a reason that the like the state level is effectively like in a different directory or yeah or... because if it didn't then okay so remember how i just talked about the factor tree yeah at the top it splits into two right and so we're creating a silo a silo is almost like a website inside a website mm -hmm. where it's like the pages that all have to do with something basically linked together so on the rehabs parent page, the silo is the states. So all of the states, it will get really complicated. Let's say we we visualize this through a network, you know, and mm -hmm. we we had a huge board on the wall that showed lines between all the pages that link together. That network would show that all of the state pages link down to the city pages and link across amongst themselves. And so in order to keep it clean for Google to basically see like, okay, this silo is connected to each other and this silo is connected to each other, we do that by separating the parent page. Let me also say that this silo shit was really, really important when we started the website. It's not so much anymore because Google is just so damn smart that they even can recognize if you're building silos, which is, you know, technically manipulative, you know, because it's just not the way that a website would naturally form, you know, if mm -hmm. you were just like doing it one page at a time and creating content in the right way. So I don't think the new site has a silo in the same exact way, although it might. 
And if it does, it's just because we don't want to change the URLs too much. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it does. But all right. So I cut you off there. Once you click through to a city page, you're looking at. Yeah. So once we click through to a city page, I'm back on the New York parent page and I'm going to click on Albany. And now these are all the rehabs. We call them listings. These are all the listings in Albany. So what we have is basically three things, four things. We have the main rehab parent page, sobernation.com slash rehabs. We have the states. Okay. And in this state page, we have a list of cities. Mm -hmm. This is where we need to change. And I will show you how the results of this actually impact the internet. So I'm on SEM Rush right now. And I just searched sobernation.com. If you can hear that banging, by the way, I'm really sorry. My kid's beating on a bucket downstairs. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he literally has a mallet that he carries with him everywhere. It's just a stick <laughs> with a giant red like whacking machine on the top of it. But uh, yeah, all right. You can see that in October 2019, we had our highest traffic ever. Mm -hmm. And right around this time, Google released a series of algorithm updates called Hummingbird. And Hummingbird is basically, it's not so much an algorithm change as it is just incremental updates to how Google indexes pages because it's machine learning that is figuring out through the billions and billions of searches on Google, like what people actually mean when they search things. So an example for this could be if you go into Google and you just search cars, right? Well, maybe you're looking to buy a car. Maybe you're looking for the movie cars, right? Maybe you're looking for how cars are built. Who knows? There's a million different ways that like Google can interpret things that get searched. And so Hummingbird is basically machine learning that just you know, gets like 0.0000001% more accurate every time somebody searches something and then mm -hmm. like sees what they clicked on when they searched that thing. And so that's relevant here. Yeah. For anybody listening. So as Tim just mentioned, was that, would you say January, 2019, roughly? October it was at its 2019. Peak? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So October, 2019. And then it basically falls... 70% or so oh, over yeah, the last bro. couple of years. So yeah. this is what I'd like to, I'd like to know if like Google's goal in doing that was to say, okay, well, right now there's a bunch of people who are searching like it, under in ideal circumstances, they're saying a bunch of people are searching for something and they're not quite finding exactly what they're looking for. Right. So we're exactly. trying to dial this in you as the guy running the business, what have you noticed on the business end? Like, cause traffic can fall and that doesn't necessarily affect the business. If totally. those 90k other people weren't quality leads to begin with. So, did you notice uh like a correlating drop in revenue or would you just say that the average visitor is now way more targeted than it was before? A little bit of both. So, two things happened with this traffic drop. One of them is that Google started to recognize clickbait a lot. And mm -hmm. so all of the articles and so we're talking about two things here. We're talking about articles that we've written and the directory. All of the revenue comes from the directory. I'd say 90% of the phone calls come from, from the directory. 
So that uh, would be somebody searching like uh, rehab in Albany, right? That's and exactly your, right. Your stuff pops that's exactly up. Okay. right. Yeah. But so a lot of the clickbait stuff, you know, like top 10 celebrities in recovery, shit like that, that isn't actually like helpful, but mm-hmm. is just like very, very traffic driving. Um, a majority of the drop comes from those pages being way pushed down the search results because Google just kind of figured it out. Like, you're not looking for celebrity stuff. You're not looking for this. This is clickbait. Go post this on Reddit. Do whatever you're going to do with it. And so as a result, like we've basically stopped doing all of that content. Uh, okay. It's not a magazine. We just went full in on like medically um, reviewed content that is created to help somebody looking for help, right? Okay, so there's that. But there's also a significant piece of the traffic which we have seen a decrease in revenue in the last last two years i'm down i'd say 15 percent month over month you know so like we're I'm, I'm very fortunate in that the reason why i like these kind of businesses is because they're so lean right it's just me mm-hmm. and my partner who manage all of these websites so we don't need a team and so it hasn't necessarily affected my life that much but we're bleeding and we will keep bleeding unless we do something and here's exactly why and you actually nailed it ethan when you said when people are searching for things they're not getting exactly what they're looking for right so i have the current site still up and once again i'm on this new york page and so if i search let me just ask you if i search for drug rehabs in new york what do you think i'm looking for rehab centers somewhere in the state of new york (laughs) right and i know (laughs) that sounds so obvious because technically this site the, the one we have now is perfectly SEO'd for Google. It's not perfectly SEO'd for the user. Because if you go on this page, there's not a single rehab center in New York listed. There's just a whole bunch of links uh, to the city, right? And so like it's this kind of semantic shit that Google has been figuring out where hmm. it doesn't matter how crafty you get with SEO and silos and site structure and hierarchy and all that kind of stuff. We are looking to solve our users' problems as quickly as possible. And so what do we got? We got, bam. This is the new website, by the way. It's on staging. It's not live yet. I am going to go to the directory, which has the same exact site structure, Mm -hmm. right? But let's go to the New York page again. And what do you see? We're seeing listings at the top of the page. It says 15 addiction rehabs in New York. And just looking at the right out of the gate, Orchard, the listings are in Orchard Park, New York, New York. So New York City, if you scroll just a little bit, are these predominantly, did you, uh, how are you creating these results? Is this dynamic? Like it's just, it's just pulling it from a database or did you decide you do some research and you're like, you know, when most people say New York, what they really mean is New York City. So we're going to put the New York City ones at the top, even though like Albany is, you know, alphabetically the first place that you would, that would Uh, pop up. Great question. So you froze on my end for a bit there. What Ethan said when I said, we're on the new site, when we go to the New York page, what is it that you see? Ethan said, I see a whole set of listings that are rehabs in New York, as opposed to the old website, which is just links of of cities. So we're going to edit that if you hear like a weird glitch right there. That's why it froze on my end. But to answer your question, Ethan, yes, all of this information is pulled 
through various databases all across the internet. And then what made Sober Nation very, very successful in the beginning, which actually isn't that big of a deal anymore because a lot of people just copied us, which is totally fine, is that my developer, he's just kind of a genius. I'm very, very lucky to have him on my team. And so he wrote this specialized code that pulls the IP address of the person searching and figures out basically where they are and then serves the the rehabs to them in proximity to where they are. So it's a little bit tough because I'm in Nashville right now and I'm searching this. And granted, it's never going to be totally perfect because like the internet is always changing and like some of the addresses change and like businesses shut down and all that stuff. But if I were in New York, well, I, it'll be that way now. So like this top one, this is the closest one to me hmm. in New York. And then it, it just goes further and further away on some kind of algorithm he wrote, depending on like the circumference of the 50 mile radius of wherever you are. So, so that's how the data gets served. And then uh, subsequently, the listings are just much more like informative. Whereas on the old website, the listings just didn't have as much to them. And we're going to continue to build up the listings now. Yeah, see, even this one's a 404. Like, and this is a, this is a de- direct result of the fact that this, this particular listing that I'm looking at is probably shut down. And so like, mm-hmm. the data that gets pulled doesn't see it anymore. Wow. But the listings that we created on the new site are just going to be super informative. They're going to have the phone number, you know, so like, we always want to keep the option open and it's super honest and transparent and like by the book. So if somebody comes here and they want to just call the listing directly, like they can do that. They don't have to call our call center. But if they want to help and talk it through and work their insurance out and do all that, we can provide that service for them. And so, <laughs> and so you know, like it's been a year and a half. And this I can explain big, this to you in, in a couple minutes, right? But believe me, this has been grueling, anxiety-provoking, terrifying work. <laughs> okay, I want to dig into that in a second, but I just want to take a second to acknowledge the the scale of this overhaul. So I think when people, myself included, heard, well, you've been doing this for a year and a half, one of the first thoughts is, well, it's been taking so long. This is big. It looks like you wrote a bunch of custom content. I mean, I saw for people listening, there's there's categories on these listings now that yeah. go beyond. It's not just a description of like where the place is. It's who do they serve? Do it, they even talks about whether or not they use certain drugs in their treatment, right? Did I see that accurately? Exactly. Yes. And so there's. It seems like there's now a pretty crucial content creation component that's going into these listings that maybe wasn't there before. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So just hats off. This is a huge project. It's cool to see that's coming to fruition, and now it's going to launch in three days. And so what I'd love yeah, it's to launch on Wednesday. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> just a little bit over five, maybe five, four or five days. So what's on your mind right now, man? What was harder about this than you expected? Like what surprised you? What was surprisingly difficult about this overhaul? The anxiety. Hmm. Like, and I really mean that. The technical stuff, I've been working with my team for years. And so, you know, like we can scream at each other and get frustrated with each other and be patient with each other. I mean, he, he, they're all in my wedding, right? Like the, the people that I built these companies with, they're all my best friends. I just got really, really lucky that I found these people at the time of my life. The part about it is just the anxiety because there's still a, there's still a piece that says, well, we have this imperfect, but it's great. 
you know, like anybody would be so grateful to have this website that generates this income for them and is like a real passion project. And I know that I can depend on that, but I also know I can depend on that to like slowly deteriorate over the course of the next 18 months. Mm -hmm. And what is it that I want? You know, do I want to actually continue to fulfill this like purpose that I have, which is to create these resources and find people and let them know that they're not alone and, you know, hopefully be like an example to them in like whatever small capacity I could. (laughs) And like, in order to do that, like we have a saying within my crew, you got to risk it to get the biscuit. Right. And so like the anxiety of risking it to get the biscuit is has cost me a a lot of sleep. And I'm not saying that as like to be trite or trivial, like it's cost me a lot of sleep. So the, just to make sure I'm clear, the, the major source of anxiety is the potential for this to completely tank your SE, your existing SEO. Yeah. And is that how you guys are like, is that your most effective competitive lever right now? Cause you said other people have come in, they've started copying you on this they just haven't been able to outfox your SEO or is like, if that goes away, the business craters, that is, am I understanding that properly? Yeah. And this is actually perfect to the part that I wanted to talk about with my plan, because I think it'll be cool for people to see how there's always an opening. And I I try to drive this point across a lot. It's hard because people sometimes ask me questions about like their particular website and without doing research, you know, if I'm on like one of the academy masterclasses and we do the questions, people are always like, look at my website, like what's the opening there? And it's hard for me to like on the spot find it. But this is a good analogy because within the last 10 years, there's been dozens of websites that have come up trying to get into the healthcare space. And some of them have significant marketing budgets. And I, don't, I honestly don't have any interest in playing that game. It's just not where I'm at with my life and my lifestyle. And so I can show you how we've slowly gotten smothered by some of these companies with marketing budgets, but I can also show you that there's still openings. And a lot of times it's better to be fast and agile and small because you don't have to actually win. You just have to find the one thing. And so I am going to share my screen again and I will show you. Okay. So I'm going to have a couple of things open. I'm going to have a screen and then I'm going to click back and forth to SEM rush for a little bit. And I'm just going to show you what I'm working on. So I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to search drug rehab, New York. Let's just keep using New York as an example. I'm always positive. Start your recovery is going to come out number one. Okay. Addictioncenter.com, huge website, probably the coolest website on the internet. And I really mean that as much as like, as much as I get really, really competitive and I like stare at my competitors and I think of all the ways that I'm going to take them down. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for the people that built addictioncenter.com. It is a brilliant, masterful piece of art. And I believe that. Okay. Just to give people perspective, I'm looking at it on uh, similar web right now. It's saying about 1.8 million visits per month. So that's a big, big site, big traffic big site and they did it the hard way too because they the difference between them and us is they're not programmatic well they are they have a directory but they straight up wrote hundreds of i mean thousands and thousands of pages of content like one page at a time 
and built a whole entire team of like outsourced doctors that would review the content form and like stamp their name on it. You know, I hate Addiction Center, but I really, <laughs> I also really love them. Got it. All right. And then under there, you got startyourrecovery.org. Monster website. These guys crushed it. Addicted.org. Um, you don't usually see them in the top three, but I'm not surprised to. Rehabs.com. These guys are huge as well. And so like, if you're immersed in the SEO space, you'll notice right away that this is different because typically when you search for a business and a location, the search results you get is an actual business in that location as to oppose as opposed to like a massive resource website you know so typically brookrecovery.com which is an actual rehab facility in new york would be number 1 but these websites are so monstrous and have such savage seos on them that to think of me and david actually winning this search query, Drug Rehab New York, is very, very unlikely. And it would take a significant amount of time and resources that would just be really counterproductive. All right. So what do I do? Right? Like how on earth is measly sober nation going to compete with these guys? Well, check this out. So I'm going to see rush. I'm going to search. I'm going to go to the homepage just because sometimes I get lost back here. And I'm going to go to sobernation.com. I'm going to click search. I'm going to go to the top organic keywords. I'm going to click view details. And you'll see I can do some really cool research back here. And I can do it with advanced filters. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the position of two different pages. First, I'm going to say drug rehab in the keyword. Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going to look at positions. I'm going to go to the advanced filters. I'm going to include the URL containing. And then what does the cities have? I forget. Rehabs. So remember we were talking about before with the different URLs? This is why. Okay. And then if you're looking at this, there's a whole bunch of different ways I can categorize the results. I'm going to click on this position button so that all of the ones that rank number one go to the top and then they're going to list in chronological <laughs> order. So look at all of these little cities that have small search volume that there's possibilities for. You know, so I'm already ranking number one for alcohol rehab, Cinco Ranch. That's in Texas. So there's a, a small town in Texas called Cinco Ranch, and about 50 people search for that query a month, right? It's not a lot. It's really not a lot, but I rank number one for it, mm -hmm. right? So let's say that generates one phone call a month. It's 50 bucks. Well, just actually, so for I'm looking down the list a little bit, getting I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but the first, there's four results in here all for Cinco Ranch. And if I total them up, it looks like it's almost it's closer to 400 searches a month total. So uh, you're does that start it. to feel, is that start to, that's a little bit more significant, right? Like 400 searches a month in this one little city that you dominate for. That's yes. where the opportunity is. You're totally getting it because I'm trying not to get too technical, but remember that algorithm about Hummingbird? Well, mm -hmm. Hummingbird figured out through machine learning that if you search for alcohol rehab or you search for drug rehab or you search for Cinco Ranch alcohol rehab as opposed to alcohol rehab Cinco Ranch, like 
you're looking for the same thing, right? So now all of a sudden you don't have to be so specific about the keyword that you're going for. Rather, you're, you're kind of grouping keywords together because you know that Google can basically figure out like, this is what you're looking for. Mm. All right. And so as you scroll down, I'm on all of the pages I have that rank number five, right? So Potter's Will Rehab North Carolina. There's about 50 searches a month for it. And the competition is about 21%. So I can easily win that keyword. I'm going to go into the second page now. Let's find some things that are ranked like eight or so, which is my favorite for whatever reason. I just, I love going after things that are number eight. Uh, right, can you so that, talk a little bit more about that? Why? Why? Because is that like just like a sweet spot where competition is not? It's just a sweet spot. Sweet. Yeah, it's just a sweet spot. Okay, um, so we're looking at eight. Well, and, and this is why for for the people that are watching the video, you can see now that we got to number eight, the keyword difficulty has gone up. So there's a little color code on the keyword difficulty, and they've all been green, which means like yeah, sure, this is a toss up, go get it. But now we're at like thirty one percent, and this means it's a little bit more difficult which correlates to higher search volume. It doesn't necessarily mean it, but it, it's more difficult because more people are trying to rank for it usually, mm -hmm. right? Like sometimes these layups are cool, but the bang for your buck isn't really there. Eight so is still eight. first page too, right? And under most circumstances. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, so I still... know I'm almost there. Like I can win this. You know, I'm not on page 100 climbing, pushing a boulder up the hill. You know, like I mm. can, I can isolate this long, this, this is cool. This is actually a perfect example because Longhorn is a, a city right outside Philadelphia. I know exactly where it is. So we rank number eight for Longhorn Rehab. It's, it's tough to say these things without like you have to recognize that there's people here and there's people suffering. And believe me, I live in that world and I do it every day. However, from a search volume, I know that there's people in Longhorn because I've been there, right? Like I know that there's people who are searching for this. So mm -hmm. this is another great example. And so my, I can go through this all day. I got, what do I got? I got 95 pages of potential keywords. But if I were to take this spreadsheet and take everything number 10, let's say number four to number 20, where they're really, really small towns and cities that probably get anywhere from 50 to 140 searches a month, right? And I take these let's call it 500 pages. And I say, we're going to go through these pages one by one and get these little cities. So number 10 to number one or number two. Hmm. Now we're talking about real, real serious revenue, real serious revenue. And so, and so when we talked about that anxiety before, like, yes, it's very, very scary. However, there's like a path to success here and it's just it's going to just be about executing this is really interesting and it reminds me of something else that's i think tied into content businesses more broadly yeah. which is that uh one way to compete in this space is to look at what large companies don't have the time to go after and that's essentially what you're saying here you're saying like well we're going to dominate a a across a large category of small searches because you know start your addiction they can't they literally can't even turn that into an roi positive endeavor because in order for them to like 
try and approach that. They're going to have to hire a new person. That person is going to come on at like 60 grand a year and whatever. It's hard to turn that into a profitable scheme for them. And, or even if they could make it profitable, it might not be profitable enough to get over whatever bar they have internally for deciding we are going to do this project or we're not going to do it. And I think there's there's a lot of examples of this in uh, the content business. In fact, one way you can track this is to look at old legacy content companies, look them up on Wikipedia and look at all their acquisitions because what it'll, it'll like the best ones are just old newspaper companies or magazine publishers. A lot of them have been around for 50, 60, 80, 100 years. And so they've done a lot of acquisitions and they've gone through a lot of media cycles and a lot of things haven't worked out. So they've shut a lot of businesses down. But that doesn't mean that those aren't viable businesses. It just means that like for a billion dollar company like the New York Times, they they have a bar where they're like, well, this has to make five, 10, 20 million dollars in order for us to even think about investing in it. Otherwise, you know, like we're not going to be able to justify it to our shareholders or whatever. So a lot of times you can go through and you can look at these like what you just highlighted was amazing. And I hope people will go look at the video of this because that kind of inside baseball of just like, here's exactly the buttons that you click in order to see how to do this. Super helpful. But one other way that people can do this is go look at like legacy media companies and just look at, look at who they acquired because that should give you an indication of like where they see value because they do a lot of due diligence and stuff on these deals. And then look at what they shut down. And like, I'm thinking of one right now. It's the company I'm blanking on the the media company's name, but they used to own Flying Magazine. Craig actually just Craig um, Fuller just bought Flying Magazine from them close to a year ago. I was looking at this media company's history and they've been around for a long time. Same thing I'm saying. During the 90s and early 2000s, they acquired a whole bunch of video game media properties. So like the biggest gaming magazines that were being published at the time. And since then, a lot of those have been shut down because they just couldn't make the, because the the magazine business wasn't able to work the way that they needed to in order to satisfy their investors and their costs and all that. But you know, anybody who's listening to this that's a gamer knows there's still tons of interest in that. And like some of the, like there, if you go and look at some of these gaming, uh, like streaming websites and stuff, there's a ton of consumer demand. So it's not that these businesses can't work. It's just that sometimes these big players can't make them work at the right level in order to justify it. That's your opportunity. And I hope people will look into that deeper. I do too. You totally nailed it. So those websites that we talked about, startyourrecoveryandaddictioncenter.com are already ranking number one for Drug Rehab New York, You know, Drug Rehab Texas. They're probably up there if you just search drug rehab. And so like, why in the fuck are they going to waste their time trying to get Langhorn for 50 searches and it might give them one phone call a month. You know, that doesn't make sense. They got teams of people. And so it's not that they can't. And it's not even that they wouldn't. It's that dollar for dollar, the time they spend on that isn't going to be as valuable as the time they spend going after the real big wins. And mm-hmm. so like, I'm so glad that you brought that up, man, because that really is the thing that, that even on my blog that I'm still all these years later trying to figure out exactly how to explain to people. Like, don't try to be the New York Times. Don't try to be the guy that has a million subscribers. And like, we, we talk about this every single time. It's not so much about niche because when we talk about it, we think like, yeah, 
there's a niche and there's community around all these small niches. It's it's a little bit more analytical than that. Whereas like find the thing that you can win mm-hmm. and then win that thing and actually like get somewhere because it's like a lot, it's a better way to live your life. First of all, because at least you're, you're making progress, you know, and I personally think that like progress is happiness, but also just from a pragmatic standpoint, th- there's always opportunity. You just have to dig and dig and dig and find it. It's, it's there no matter what. It's always there. Totally. One other way that people can think about this too is, so we've, we've discussed, you can look for the opportunity that's too small for yeah. the big dogs to care about. You can also look for the opportunity that isn't like, I'm going to say socially acceptable, but it's, it's not even that. It's like, it's not sexy. What's the unsexy opportunity? I'll give you a great example. Totally, man. Yeah. One of my, I mean, when you started this, I think rehab probably was an example of that, right? Now, more and more people have figured out that there's a huge opportunity there. So it's, it's, it's changed. But I d- was just talking to a uh, friend of mine. Her name is Alexis Grant. Lexi Grant. Is she the salesperson that you put me in touch with a while ago? Uh, no, that was probably Katie Huff for my, selling yeah, ads or no? Yeah. Been. Yeah. Katie's a baller. No, Lexi is also a baller. She's like a media veteran. She was like executive VP of content at the Penny Hoarder. So she grew that team to a hundred plus and then like tens of millions of readers. She also built and sold The Right Life. Maybe you've heard of it. It's another, it's like a website all about how to make money as a writer. And she recently started a new company called They Got Acquired, which- Oh, cool. Have you I seen this? She's Twitter. been making the rounds. Yeah, yeah, she's been making the rounds on Twitter with it. But it's really cool because if you're an entrepreneur, you know this. There's an issue in like media where the only acquisitions that really get a lot of attention or the only startups that get a lot of attention are the companies that raise these huge funding rounds or make enormous exits. And mm-hmm. like specifically with funding rounds, it's not like on all founders know that's actually not that great, right? It's it's cool, it's it's interesting, it's sexy to read about huge sums of money that are getting poured into these companies. But the reality is as soon as you raise that money, like it from it raises the bar on everything you have to do in order to create returns for your investors. And like sometimes it's just not good for your team. It's not good for your health as a fact. It's not always good, but it's for whatever reason, it's the only thing that's reported on. So what Lexi's new company looks at is uh companies that get acquired for anywhere from a hundred thousand dollars to fifty million dollars. So it's that kind of often ignored small to medium-sized acquisitions. And the reason I mention it is because technically she's up against monsters like Forbes, Business Insider. These just like huge uh, entrepreneurship and business publishing companies. Yeah, like Bloomberg. Yeah, exactly. But instead of maybe going toe-to-toe and writing the same stories, she said, well, what is nobody writing about? Here's this thing that everybody knows is the is interesting that probably like the bulk of founders don't want to sell for a billion dollars, right? Like if you if you know what actually goes into that, you're like, ah, I got a life that I want to live, you know? Give me life-changing money, but not so much money that I have to have my own like congressional hearing, you know? Yeah. 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 So people want it, but it's never talked about. She went after it. And here's the cool part. We sat down to talk about the launch phase of her business. Over the first six months, she built that email list up to about a thousand readers. And even at that level, she was monetizing ads at several thousand dollars a pop. Wow. Right. 
Yeah. So it, it, you don't have to have these huge businesses. That's a point that we hammer on all the time. You can find opportunities by looking for the things that are actually a little bit too small for like the big dogs in the industry to monopolize or by looking at what's not sexy. What, what, what do people not talk about, even though everybody wants to know about it? And then I think the third point, which is it, it ties in with Lexi's story and also with what you said earlier in terms of pricing leads is you got to know the value of what it is you're selling, because that's really the key to monetizing at a high level and, and getting the most out of these businesses, because it, it rather than being distracted by growing something huge, like you're able to keep your eye on the ball of creating real value. And so in Lexi's case, again, well, 1000 person email list is quite small by industry standards, but she's able to sell ads for several thousand dollars a pop. Damn. She knows the value of what she's creating. And then same goes for what you said with like phone call leads. If you know what your customers are paying for acquisition, uh, you're able to maximize the business returns on that. For anybody listening again, go check out the video because Tim walked through some really cool stuff visually, but he, I also just watching this, like you did a really good job talking through it. So if you can't see the video, you're not, you, you got 98% of the value of this. I hope so. By the time this gets published, the new website should be live, assuming everything goes to plan, which let's fucking be honest, it probably won't, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll see what David says about it, but, but man, wish me do luck. A follow up. Like, on on a personal note, Sober Nation is really where it all started for me. Like the reason why I, I got hooked on Copyblogger was because I read Copyblogger every single day, and then applied those lessons to Sober Nation. Sober Nation is just the the catalyst of how it all started. But it also I've just had a lot of really really important experiences with people that I've met through it. So win or lose, fail or success, you know, like I'm really proud of it, and I I am very very optimistic about it from all standpoints. It's just, man, it's scary. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's typically how you know you're doing something right. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this. It looks like a great launch. You clearly have a good team behind this. Uh, wishing you guys the best of luck. And thanks for taking us behind the scenes. This was really cool. Cool. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Hit subscribe. Share the podcast, please. This is the best thing you can do to support the show. If we've generated any value for you at all, it would really mean a lot to us. And we'll talk to you next week. See you then.